Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Women in Compliance Podcast with Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley. I'm Mary Shirley, and we're very pleased to be sponsored by Corporate Compliance Insights, where you can find a veritable treasure trove of compliance resources all for free. Following on from Lisa Estrada's episode all the way back in 2018, uh, sorry, that would be 2019, we're pleased to present a two-part series with focus on healthcare compliance. And our first guest is Donna Schneider. Welcome, Donna. Thank you. Happy to be here. So pleased to have you. And Donna and I thought that we would do just a little bit of level setting about healthcare in the first instance, healthcare compliance, because it is a little bit of a different beast. Uh, Maybe not quite as totally different beast as I see financial services compliance, but it does have some unique characteristics, perhaps compared with some of the other industries. So I thought I would use um, one of the areas that I know best, uh, which would be for seniors medical care. But in saying that, I also acknowledge that I'm not an expert. So if I get something wrong, please feel free to flood me with non-fan mail telling me that I got something wrong. Um, So at Fresenius, what we do is dialysis services. So when your kidneys start going into kidney failure, um, the body can't cleanse the the blood by itself as as well as when the kidneys are functioning how they're supposed to. And so what we do is manufacture machines which help people um, by way of uh, cleaning the blood for them. Um, and interestingly, I'm, I'm, I'm a very queasy around blood, so it's interesting that I ended up in such a, a company. Um, and uh, the, the machines and things, I would call that sort of the medical device industry. And then when we have clinics and hospitals where patients come to see us and healthcare providers give them those treatments, I call that our healthcare services. So that's the healthcare compliance that Donna and I are going to talk about today. We also have some laboratory um, aspects of our business, and I would generalize that as being in the life sciences type realm. And we also do some pharmaceuticals in in limited ways as well. Um, And of course, that's pharma. And I see a lot of those industries as kind of being interconnected. And typically, it, it feels to me at least that you can move between those a lot easier than if you have no experience um, in, in a related field before trying to get a healthcare compliance role or medical device, for example. They're, they're a little insular in that respect. Um, and I can kind of see why, because there are some additional elements that we see in those areas. Um, on the international side, there is um, what we call sponsorship of healthcare professionals. So that is where in order to... Um, as a whole, raise the quality of medical care. We want to make sure that our healthcare practitioners stay up to date with um, education, with cutting edge advancements um, in their respective fields. And so sometimes companies provide means for um, healthcare professionals to get that education. But if you're in compliance, you're probably feeling your spidey senses tingle right now because that is an oft abused area for inappropriate benefits. 
So now I'll hand over to our guest, Donna, to share a little bit um, because she's stronger at this side than me, is there's also um, unique to the United States healthcare compliance, some additional considerations that I had to learn when I came out here. And so I think it's best for everyone that I not um, talk about those. And we let Donna, who's more expert at that area, tell us about some of the idiosyncrasies of US healthcare compliance. Oh, thank you, Mary. I think your point is well taken because in healthcare, there's um, other considerations. You know, we started to touch upon it, but in terms of clinicians doing consulting for different vendors, is something we have to pay particular attention to, which is why an annual conflict of interest or when new clinicians or leaders, significant leaders in the organization join, having that transparency and looking at that. Mm -hmm. There are uh, regulations such as Stark and anti-kickback, which just recently went through mm -hmm. some changes in January that the whole healthcare compliance industry, I think, is still trying to adjust and um, focus our plans toward that require a different level of scrutiny than maybe other non-healthcare type compliance roles. Um, and then there's also things that come out uh, regarding the transparency of medical information, such as the 21st Century Cures Act, which was supposed mm. to be effective in November and then got delayed till April. But people, you know, we all scurried around and we're ready to go for the November date. So we'll be even more ready for the mm -hmm. April 5th date. But that transparency of medical information is, you know, yet another piece. And then it comes down to mm. um, billing and documentation, because when you work on the provider side, whether you work for a hospital, a lab, a, a physician group organization, it's the type of billing and coding that goes on and are those pieces compliant. So healthcare in and of itself has um, different well, I would say just, you know, it's sort of a shade of a different color of rules that mm -hmm. are complicate matters or make it more exciting, depending on how you look at it in compliance <laughs> and privacy. So, um, and then there's also managed care compliance. So that's a whole nother piece of it for the, on the payer side mm -hmm. that um, mm -hmm. have different relationships with different providers and what the payers have to do in terms of eligibility and enrollment and ID cards and how they're tracking all their particular healthcare membership data. So, just more opportunity, I think, in compliance than ever before. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, thank you for that introduction. And um, this, this is a bit of a non-conventional start for us. We've level set in terms of the healthcare side, but let's hear about you, Donna. Tell us about your background. Sure. I'll, uh, I'll skim my resume and give you the Reader's Digest version. <laughs> I am uh, a registered nurse by background mm. um, and worked clinically in uh, cardiac ICU, cardiac step-down, um, and then um, went back early on after a couple of years clinically, uh, went back and got my master's in business administration mm -hmm. um, because I thought that was something different to do. And um, actually, after a year, I went a year full time and um, had the opportunity to work um, in an internship in managed care and mm -hmm. ended up staying there and starting up a regional HMO health maintenance organization and started their quality assurance program. Mm -hmm. finished my MBA and I worked um, on, in quality for the um, managed care organization. I worked in provider relations. I worked um, in contracting and um, then was able, you know, that, that was during the 90s when um, managed care companies were consolidating at a feverish pitch. And I mm -hmm. ended up working 
for an independent practice association, which was a group of a couple hundred physicians who when the payer went public, ended up with about $7 million in stock money and didn't really know what to do. So they started their own company, sort of uh, a different context. So I worked there and got different experience there, ended up uh, on the hospital side and working in contracting from the hospital end. Um, and then that's where I got introduced into compliance and privacy and quality analytics. I worked for a small community hospital that acquired another community hospital, then was acquired by a large academic medical center. And I went to that side. So I uh, worked there and then um, was able to secure a position where I currently am at Lifespan, which is a, uh, an academic medical center with, it's a five hospital system um, that also has um, group homes and a large physician, uh, multidisciplinary clinician practice in Rhode Island. So um, it's been a great, it's been a great ride and continue to do so. Super. And the, um, the, the, the prompt from your story there, when you mentioned an academic um, organization, that reminds me, and of course, there's the research side of healthcare right. compliance as well, right? Yet another. <laughs> Yet another, yeah. right. And that's that you a can really specialize good in. point. Mm. That's a really good point. And actually, I also, um, I lead compliance, privacy, and internal audit. And so um, your point about research, that's a whole nother mm. animal within the healthcare beast and how mm -hmm. research compliance and the system compliance interact both mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis, both with conflict of interest, because research mm -hmm. has very prescriptive rules related to that, is really, really important. Mm. And I want to thank you for your service to the community as a registered nurse. Um, you, you know, there's a really interesting perspective on that becoming a compliance officer from really, you know, properly in the trenches there. How do you think um, being a registered nurse has helped you as you moved into the compliance side? I think um, it's been immensely helpful for a couple mm. of perspectives. I, in, in my role, in, uh, in the roles in compliance within the health system, I think it's really important to understand how the organization works. So with the clinical background, when things come up, you're able to, I think it's easier to take a step back and understand why um, someone might have made the mistake they've mm -hmm. made or had mm -hmm. the error they've had because mm -hmm. maybe they were up all night or mm -hmm. maybe, you know, and taking care of 20 patients and just the mm -hmm. pressures from a clinical standpoint, mm -hmm. from my background is easier to understand because I've been there, albeit it was many years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I also think the lingo, it comes very mm -hmm. naturally. You know, mm -hmm. when terms are thrown around, acronyms are thrown around, you know what they are. Mm -hmm. And then the third piece I think that matters is uh, the street cred that you have. So, mm -hmm. you know, when you're talking to physicians or other clinicians, you're able to understand that. And there's an automatic, I think, respect that happens mm -hmm. because of that interaction. I, I would guess another thing for me as a layperson, I'm guessing it would be easier for you than it would be for me to very accurately make remediation suggestions when something goes wrong because you know the systems that people are working in, you understand the wider context of the environment that they're working in. And so I would guess that someone like you, not that it's competition, uh, but that someone like you would naturally be more adept at, at hitting remediation on the head squarely. And I think that's, you know, part of the exciting part about it. What I love is you know, many times I don't know the specific answer, but I'm able to guide and bring the group mm -hmm. together to that collaboration. Mm -hmm. 
And Mm -hmm. that happens all the time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when people talk about your why in terms Mm -hmm. of what you do, what you do, because compliance has that natural tone of, ooh, and, Mm -hmm. and I, I don't, you know, part of me just doesn't understand that because it's so exciting to make this why connection. Yeah. And, you know, I laugh and I joke about it with, you know, when I meet with all the different chiefs and chairs of the the whole system and say, you know, I'm here to help you Mm -hmm. and uh, let's figure out how we can make this, you know, whatever concern you have, the how it's being the, the organ, the department, when I say our organization, the department of how and how Mm -hmm. you're helping whomever it is, whether it's development, Mm -hmm trying mm. to help them and seek their goals or one of the different chiefs or chairs seek their goals. So mm. uh, I think it, it does help knowing that and having that sort of um, background mm-hmm. as well as being, you know, there's two, two schools of thought I've had. I've thought that it's easier to grow up in a system as you grow into compliance because mm. you know the players. Mm-hmm. But as I've changed different c- systems, the players may be different, mm. but a lot of the struggles are the same. Mm. And so it's been helpful, I think, being at different organizations, different mm-hmm. sizes as well, mm-hmm. to offer suggestions because I've had that experience. Absolutely. That makes complete sense. And then moving on now, um, healthcare companies were affected by COVID in very stark and pressing ways. Uh, back when Lisa and I did a COVID episode last year, I shared some of the stresses on healthcare companies in our special episode. Thinking about current times, what are some of the pressing things keeping healthcare uh, chief compliance officers up at night right now? Um, I think, you know, I still worry about safety. You know, our numbers can are decreasing, and mm-hmm. they are in Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. I know they are in Connecticut. But mm-hmm. still, safety for our employees and safety for our patients. Um, and our, you know, I work in a system very fortunate that takes that as a real priority. Mm-hmm. So um, I think communication is always first and foremost about safety. The second mm-hmm. piece I think is really important in this environment we're in is uh, privacy protection. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, I, we, we have a system that we use to look into our electronic medical record and make sure that, that uh, we mitigate any inappropriate access. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a tendency with COVID, and maybe it's, it's almost being normalized a year later, but there was a tendency to look and see who has COVID, who doesn't have COVID, or following <laughs> that, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so we usually use, use a system now where or we have for the past couple of years to look at that and then mitigate and continue to educate. So I would mm-hmm. say that's, um, that's really with COVID and the, and the stress, I think mm-hmm. it's a stress and particularly on the front line. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be mindful of that, you know, I love having, when I love to have a hundred percent completion rate for all of our education mm-hmm. by everyone, that would mm-hmm. be just lovely. Mm-hmm. However, we are in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I think as a compliance officer, you need to be mindful of what your constituents, and particularly, I always think at the front line, where mm-hmm. are their pressing priorities and their pressures? Mm-hmm. And if you've sent out X number of emails about completion rates, enough is enough. You need to document and kind of move on. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the third thing is just really being mindful of the pressures that are on the front line. And they change. You know, mm-hmm. things are changing a little bit in terms of even vaccination rates. Mm-hmm. And, and how we're vaccinating and really being present with those groups that are trying to figure out 
how are we going to go into the community and do these vaccinations? Mm -hmm. And then what's the billing component with that? What's the documentation component with that? That's not our normal process. You know, mm -hmm. just really being helpful with them brainstorming would probably be mm -hmm. the other piece there. The, the the snooping and patient files one uh, I think is a perennial problem. We've had data privacy law in New Zealand for quite some time now, and you know almost like clockwork. If a celebrity and I use that word quite lightly when it comes right. to New Zealand, you know that we're a country of four point five million. We're not exactly a list Hollywood celebrities, but whenever there is a New Zealand level celebrity admitted to hospital. Well, you, you can predict pretty soon thereafter there will be a newspaper article about how a number of hospital staff have had to be terminated for um, inappropriately accessing the, the files of that individual. And it seems like no, no matter how entrenched um, data privacy law is, no matter how far we've come and evolved as human beings, we cannot get past that point of just being absurdly curious and nosy uh, about others and salaciousness and juiciness just seems to, to win out every time in this respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know the answer to that. It's interesting. <laughs> um, and I think the only, the only thing I can think of is continue to educate and figure out different ways to do that message, you know? Yeah. You know, and that's really what I'm trying to, focus on for this next year, whether it's, you know, a meme, I don't know what, but just something different. We actually have a compliance video that we'll be revising over this next year and trying to catch people in a different way. Um, I think it's just to continue to, to present the message. Yeah, I, I remember some time ago doing a sort of a cat burglar, um, sort of, you know, caught in the act, staring back at you with a, a file or a folder in their hand and what I was missing at the time that I probably have better, better access to now would be the behavioral science behind what is going to work, what is going right. to stop people and that, you know, curiosity to, to, to peak where they're not supposed to. Of course, if you are actually the carer assigned to that patient, it's fine, but it's, of course, <laughs> the ones right. who aren't that are the problem. So that might be one that I will put to the side um, to have a think about in terms of uh, how can we use behavioral economics to, to right. fix that perennial problem. Um, there are a lot of people looking to transition into healthcare compliance, I would say, generally, in normal circumstances. And then right now, of course, in this difficult um, job market, there are also a lot of people who are simply just looking for a new role, uh, generally in healthcare. What is your advice for those who are looking at the moment? My advice would be to focus on <coughs> relatable skills. So um, mm -hmm. things like follow-up, attention to detail, Mm -hmm. And equally as important, interpersonal skills, because mm. um, I would say people don't call the compliance office when they want to chat and just say hello. Usually <laughs> they're calling when they have a concern, mm -hmm. um, when they have a question, when something may have gone awry. Mm -hmm. So um, people that can, you know, take that phone call, handle that email, communicate, pick up the phone when necessary to communicate. If you're in an, another industry and you can come across as being able to apply that, in, particularly even I would say in my department, that's very valuable because I mm. would, um, if someone has those relatable skills, 
teaching them the privacy rules, the compliance mm-hmm. rules, yeah. the rubrics we use is 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 easy. And teaching mm-hmm. the behavior is really very difficult. Mm-hmm. So I think if you have those kind of core metrics and are able to apply them, then you could be successful making that transition. Mm, good advice. Thank you, Donna. You've got a number of healthcare certifications. Do you think it's necessary for compliance officers to have compliance certifications? You know, people always give me a hard time about that. I like to take tests. I do like to take tests. Um, <laughs> I just like it. I like to learn and read and take tests. And then, then you take the test and then you have to keep up on all the CEUs. So it's kind of, whoa. You know, I think it's important. I, I do think it's important because I think, again, it goes back to the street cred. Mm-hmm piece of it. The other piece of it is um, it helps you establish networks and have, um, you know, have places to go to find things out or even learn things. Mm -hmm. So this, what I love, uh, again, about compliance and privacy in this industry is you can share, everybody faces similar challenges. So, you know, even listening to this podcast, you're able to share that and communicate and reach out to people. You can't do that in all industries. So I think um, learning, getting a certification, it, it sort of forces you to keep current in that regard and keep engaged because networking and collaboration in this field is very, very important to be successful, not only for yourself, but for your program. Mm. Mm. Definitely. And um, you've also got an impressive list of volunteering contributions To what extent do you think extracurricular volunteer work makes a compliance officer more attractive as a candidate based on your experience? I think um, it, it, it does two things. I think it shows that, you know, you lift as you have to go, we lift as we climb sort of Mm -hmm. you're here to bring Mm -hmm. others up Mm -hmm. and it gives, you know, it's in our profession, empathy is very, very important because Mm -hmm. understanding where the other person is coming from, is the key to starting that collaboration Mm. because you may not always be on the same side of an issue. So Mm -hmm. really having perspective on the other person's point of view is helpful. And that's where um, I think a a lot of volunteer work is helpful. And and I I really enjoy giving back to the profession, Mm -hmm. um, mentoring those early on or, you know, mid, mid career, um, as well as I've been really fortunate to work, um, with a, a charity that's uh, in Providence of with um, helping young adults as they transition into a professional work environment. And I'm, uh, I, I just feel the more you give, the you get back tenfold mm. in return. And, and that's important because in mm-hmm. our in compliance and privacy, you are giving, you are collaborating, you are providing guidance and counsel. Mm-hmm. And I think um, this is just part and parcel of that. Mm. So what I'm hearing from you is that you value sending the elevator back down and you think there's yes, a lot of... <laughs> yes, which I have right here. I have my pages. Oh, I can see it. Ooh. Yes, and I was actually thinking, yeah, this is a great book. This is a great book. Thank you for, for saying that, Donna. Uh, and I, I, of course, completely agree with you. Um, I, there's another aspect of it that I think 
helps from a, a, a tangible perspective in terms of being a candidate, which can be that it can give you additional work experience to draw from. So for example, if you're at a mid-level point in your career and you're aiming to get a managerial position, you've never managed anyone before in the office and you're going for either that kind of promotion or applying for a job externally, which offers that, you can share with the interviewer some of your managerial experience that you may have gained from a volunteering opportunity instead or mentoring that you've done uh, through your volunteering. So I think it um, not only has value in terms of um, our own, um, how to put it, giving us meaning and an objective in our, our personal lives to give back, um, but also it, it can give you opportunities to shine um, if you are a candidate because it can give you additional work experience that you may not have had the opportunity to glean from your day job. I think that's a really, really important point because um, I think some, some professionals struggle with that. They want to mm -hmm. go into management, yet they haven't gotten the opportunity to have that mm -hmm. management experience. So mm -hmm. they're in a catch-22, and, and mm -hmm. you're exactly right. Volunteering can give them that experience mm -hmm. and then gain them that professional, next professional step. Yeah, and, and that's, I think, one of the, going back to how it can be so darn hard to get into healthcare compliance, is people don't want to give you a chance a lot of the time if you don't have the experience and you're sitting there going, I'm just dying to get the experience and show you what I've got. Maybe volunteering is a way to get into some of that experience. Um, and I do do fully appreciate sometimes in our lives, um, it's more important to make sure that there's a loaf of bread on the table and that the lights stay on. And sometimes you're not in the position to do that. But it is something to consider if it, it, it is going to be um, appropriate for you at this point in time. And if you've exhausted other options, this could be a way to, to get your foot in the door um, without that chicken and egg disaster. <laughs> right, absolutely, absolutely. So in compliance, there are times when our tempers can be tested uh, by colleagues who are frustrated with the perceived limitations and extra work the compliance function adds. I'm sure this is nothing new to everyone listening. What is your tried and true technique to bring a sense of balance and zen during those times? Yeah, I, I love that question. Um, so two things. Uh, first is I've been fortunate um, to teach a class called, we call critical conversations here at Lifespan. I've taught it when it's called Crucial Conversations. There's a book called mm -hmm. Crucial Conversations. And there's a couple of um, key methods in that book um, that if you know you're going to be presenting something that could be conceived as uh, potentially controversial, so you really want to minimize the defensiveness. So mm -hmm. things I've done when I know I'm going to enter in a conversation like that is do something called contrasting, which is called, um, say, something, you know, I don't want to upset you uh, talking about this policy. However, this is uh, a, a federal law that we need to abide by. So let me give you some of the key points. So again, mm -hmm. you tell them what you don't want to do, and then you tell what you do want to do. That's called mm -hmm. contrasting. Or um, there's uh, another acronym called STATE where you want to um, basically state what the issue is um, with the facts. You know, mm -hmm. you one or two facts up front, discuss what those facts may perceive you to believe and ask mm -hmm. for input. So when I've been in those situations, it's really the key is to um, calmly, humbly de-escalate 
try and find um, mutual purpose, mutual mm. ground, and then really uh, ascertain from the other person what their concern is. Mm. Truthfully, understand where they're coming from so you could brainstorm and go somewhere else collaboratively mm. together. Mm. Because clearly when you're in that situation, usually one person's on one side, one person's mm -hmm. on the other. And if you can figure out really the, the core of the matter without emotion, you're able to get mm. somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. and, and these are things that I think work both professionally and personally. Mm -hmm. And in healthcare, um, we always have the patient at the center. So mm -hmm. no matter what, if you can bring and talk about the patient mm -hmm. in the conversation, because people go into healthcare because they want to help other people, generally mm -hmm. speaking. Mm -hmm. so, so if that can get um, involved in the conversation, that is really very helpful. And then the other piece I think that's been really important, especially over this past year, is having a mindset about positivity. Mm. Because there are times, you know, whether you're introducing a new policy or a new concept or education, whatever have you, you know, the team can get worn down and you and as a compliance officer can get worn down. And just, um, I read a lot of books by the author John Gordon and trying to get that, that power of a positive team, you know, things like, I get to do this. Really mm. taking a step back. And, you know, being grateful for what you have, mm -hmm. because that can de-escalate your personal stress. And then you're able to just kind of take a deep breath mm -hmm. and move forward. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think, um, I think those two concepts have been really helpful when I've been in those. And I, you continue to be in them because it's mm -hmm. sort of things come up every day. Mm -hmm. People want to do certain things, which, you know, we want to help them. Like I said, we want to be the department of how. However, mm -hmm. there are risks with doing XYZ. So let's mm. talk about what those are and see if we can come to maybe a different understanding. Let me provide you with some education. And usually you're able to get into a, a, a good position doing that. Those are some fabulous tips. And I think you've done a really wonderful job in um, providing some color around healthcare and some good advice for people who are keen or thinking about joining this area. So Donna, I'm, I'm so grateful to you for your time. Thank you for being a friend of the podcast. We appreciate having you on the show. Great. Thank you so much. Well, to wrap up um, each of the healthcare series episodes, I thought I would share with you all a two-pronged approach to a communications campaign to encourage speaking up, looking at two of the major factors and why people don't speak up. And we know from um, Ethisphere's survey um, that uh, fear of retaliation is the number one reason. Um, and number two is fear that uh, nothing will be done about it. Or not fear, I guess, belief that it's futile to do so. And so that deters people from speaking up. Very interestingly, if you look at a, a more micro um, sector of um, geography, in the, the Nordics, there's um, a Nordics business ethics group, um, which is run by um, Anna Romberg and Nina Ratsula. Um, their survey shows that um, while uh, the belief that nothing will be done about it, so it's futile, is it number one for the Nordics countries, fear of reprisal is several notches down the list. And so for that reason, I think it's important that we cover off both of those topics. And I think a lot of companies tend to focus just on retaliation and forget there are other areas as well. 
So allow me to share with you a case study uh, that I did of, of such a communication campaign designed to get it both. So I'll share the first prong today and then um, move on to the second prong to wrap up our next healthcare episode. So the first um, is the idea of great woman in compliance style inviting your head of investigations, or if you're not as big as my company and you don't have anyone dedicated to it, a person who does do some of the investigations work and interview them. And I gave it a juicy title, Behind the Scenes Investigations, right? Because as we talked about earlier in this episode, people love salaciousness. It was the idea that we were revealing a little bit behind you know, the curtain and showing behind the scenes of compliance. And so... The indirect message that I didn't need to state was, hey, look, we actually have someone who is expert at and dedicated to hearing your reports. We take them so seriously. We have the subject matter expert here. And then I asked her some questions designed to get at retaliation um, or, you know, how, how people might want to, if they're really feeling frightened, protect themselves. And I asked her, well, how do you preserve confidentiality and the investigations and, you know, how, how do you deal with an anonymous report and so on. And so it was designed to look, and it was, just like an everyday interview um, with that investigator, just as a lunch and learn. Um, and yet it had an indirect message behind it that we do take your report seriously. And I also shared our promises to our colleagues. So that's things like we will read everything that you send through to us. Um, and I think it's important as well to set expectations because a lot of the time people assume that we've done nothing if the person that they've complained about hasn't been fired. And we know in compliance, sometimes there's just not enough proof um, that warrants uh, disciplinary action to be taken. And so we're unable to, to take such disciplinary action. Um, and so I think it's important to set out, we will read and we will take necessary action um, and set expectations. So as part of this process, we also talked about um, in a very transparent way, what actually happens during an investigation. And so I had my head of investigations explain just in general detail, because we know that, of course, each case is confidential, but that doesn't mean that our process um, should be hidden and shrouded from people. And so I think that helps to give our colleagues trust in us when we show step by step, this is the kind of thing that happens. And then um, at the end of the, these uh, sessions, um, we issued a quick reference sheet uh, as well, which summarized things like the investigation process, as well as our promises and commitments to colleagues when they make a report. So stay tuned for part two to hear more about healthcare compliance and how to wrap up this communications campaign to encourage speaking up. Thank you for listening in. On behalf of Lisa and myself, we wish you a very pleasant day ahead. And if you've got a minute and you're enjoying our show, please flip down, um, scroll down on your app where you listen to us um, uh, on your, your podcast player. And will you give us a rating of five stars as a little perk up to help other people find us and know that we're recommended? That would be much appreciated. Thank you so much and take good care. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.